Well, I want to welcome you again to Real Life Community Church. It's good to see your smiling faces today. And uh, we're beginning a new series on the book of Galatians. And this is a book that every seasoned believer and every new Christian needs to be extremely familiar with because it deals with the gospel. And Paul encourages the believers at Galatia to know the real, true gospel of Jesus Christ, to cling to it, and to walk in and out its implications in everyday life. So I, I love talking about the gospel. It's something that, that's not just for the new believer, but it's something that we need to remember and walk in day in and day out. In your notes, I think I, I printed this type of quote. Uh, I've kind of made it my own, but uh, this is, comes from Dr. Tim Keller. And he gives us this kind of formulation, if you will, of the gospel. I think this sums up the, the, the beauty of the gospel so uh, wonderfully. He says this, We're more wicked than we ever dared imagined, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared dream. Think about that. That is the message of the Gospels. Here, here's what that says. We're more wicked than we ever imagined. You and I are not, at the core, good people. We're not born good people. We're born into a sinful world, stained by sin, original sin. And thus, we are sinful to the core. We're rebellious. We don't seek God. We want to do our own thing. And we've all broken the law of God. And we're helpless in our sinful state. So we're more helpless, more broken, more wicked, more sinful than we could ever dare think. But, guess what? You and I are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dare hope. That's the gospel. It's incredible. And that's the essence of what Paul is teaching here in the book of Galatians. So let me give you, before we, we jump into chapter 1, let me give you some just uh, historical background that will kind of help you uh, get a better understanding of, of what Paul is saying. Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a church planner. He would go around and he would uh, share the gospel in new communities and start churches. And after leaving, uh, after one church would get up and going, he would appoint a pastor or an elder or a team of elders most, most of the time. And what would happen, they would kind of oversee the church and Paul would leave and he would go start other churches. But he didn't lose contact with them. He would continue to get reports on how the churches are doing, what's going on. And he didn't have a cell phone or, or FaceTime where he could call up or, or, or use a computer to, to say, Hey guys, here's what's going on, here's what you need to do. So he would write letters that we call epistles to give instruction and sometimes correction to the churches. And this is what we find here in the book of Galatians. It is a, a, an epistle to the churches that are in Galatia. Now, there are two places called Galatia in the ancient world. All right, in northern Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. All right, you with me? Quick history lesson. In northern Turkey, there's a, a country called Galatia in the ancient world. But then, in the south part of Turkey, or uh, Asia Minor, there is a Roman province called Galatia. 
And most scholars believe that this is in fact who Paul is writing to. This southern Roman province in Asia Minor called Galatia. Paul on his first missionary journey planted churches all over that area. Uh, He planted them in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra in Derby. You can go to Acts chapters 13 and 14 and kind of just read about all of that. And so it's likely that Paul, after leaving those churches, got word of how they were doing. And he's writing those same believers in southern Asia Minor. So why is he writing? Well, he is writing out of great pastoral concern. The new Christians are being led away from the real gospel. These new believers who receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, a message of salvation by grace through faith, very simple gospel, a freeing gospel, a beautiful gospel. And now these false teachers have infiltrated the church. Paul leaves, new people come in and distort the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 6, lays out the seriousness of this. Paul says essentially this, that to abandon the gospel of Christ, to distort it at all, is to abandon Christ Himself. So what I'm going to preach to you today is of the utmost importance because if you miss the gospel, friends, you miss Christianity. You miss the real faith. There is only one gospel, and it is a gospel of grace. So now that you have a little bit of a historical backdrop for this letter today, uh, we'll cover the first ten verses and we'll look at three different elements of Paul's introduction. Namely, his credentials, his communication, and his concern. So if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Galatians chapter 1. And uh, Connor is going to read the text for us today. And wherever Hunter is, let him know I took his Bible because... It's got big print. I can't see the small print anymore. Paul, an apostle, not for men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God, and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the, preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Please pray with me. Dear God, we thank you that you give us this Sunday, and we can be here freely and learn about you. We thank you that you put the words into people's minds to write this Bible, to give us directions on how to live our life. We thank you that you sent your one and only Son 
Jesus Christ to die a sinner's death so that we might have a chance at eternal life. I pray that you help us receive this word today. And I hope that you, or I pray that you um, help my father preach it rightly to these people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for turning the page. Let's just dive into this. We, I preached this this morning at the halfway house, and I think it was a real blessing to those uh, gentlemen there, and, and I hope it's a blessing to you today. I know it will be. Let's begin by looking at Paul's credentials. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Paul's credentials. Paul appeals in the introduction of this letter right off as he addresses this serious issue. He appeals to his apostleship. In other words, he, he's addressing this. Why listen to me and not the other teachers? And he says, well, I am a, an apostle. Now the Greek uh, word here is apostolos, and it means one who is sent as an authoritative delegate. So a sent one is what it means to be an apostle. So Paul then makes it clear that his sending is not from man. But that he has been sent, his commissioning as an apostle has been from the Lord. Now, all of us who are in ministry are called by the Lord. The Holy Spirit called me into ministry. But Paul means something much different here. His calling goes beyond that. I I was called to the ministry by the Holy Spirit, but voted on by the church. So so man has a, 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 a part in my ministry. My calling, my, my ascending, all right? You made the decision whether I was going to come here or not. And some of you are like, yeah, we regret it. No, that's not funny. So listen, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying not only was I called and commissioned by God, but he sent me himself. And he goes even beyond that if you read Galatians and says, listen, my message, the gospel that I was given... It didn't come from seminary. It didn't come from college. It came from the Lord Himself. Therefore, it cannot be changed. This gospel message is divine and it cannot be changed. Are you with me? So Paul is is just making this very clear that listen, you've got to listen to me because these are not my words. They are divine. These other teachers do not have divine authority, but I do. And so now this begs the question, and this is an important one to answer in the Pentecostal church. Are there still apostles today? Are there still apostles today? And that's not a simple answer. So the answer here is, you ready for this? You can write this down. Yes and no. Alright? You all ready to think just a little bit today? Yes and no. So there are two different types of apostles, I think, that the, the scripture teaches. You have the apostolic office, the office of apostle. That would call, we'll call that the capital A apostle. And then you have the lowercase a apostle. And that would be the gift of apostleship. Paul had both. He had the gift of apostleship and the office of apostleship. So there's, the, there's that capital A apostle and lowercase a apostle. So the capital A, the, the office of apostle, was held by the twelve disciples... And when Judas died, they, they replaced that, and, and, and the Bible calls it an office, with Matthias. 
Alright? These men were chosen directly by Christ. And it seems that Paul was chosen in this same way. Directly he was visited by the resurrected Christ. He was called by Jesus himself. And he holds to the Gentiles this office of apostle. Now these men were tasked with setting up the foundation of the capital C church. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. All right, I want to show this to you in Scripture. Go, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. He says this. This is Paul writing again. You are no longer strangers and aliens. He's writing to church folks. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation. Here it is. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So this foundation has already been built. It's past tense. Are you with me? So these men, to be an apostle, they had to be called directly by Jesus and they had to have seen, experienced the risen Christ physically. And so the foundation has been laid. There are no more of these capital A apostles. But we do have what we'll call the lowercase a apostles, the gift of apostleship. So Barnabas is one example of this. He, he is sent, you can see this in Acts 14, or excuse me, 11.22, and then he's referred to as an apostle in Acts chapter 14. So he is sent out to Antioch, so in the sense he's an apostle, but there's a key difference. If you read it, he was not sent necessarily by the Lord, even though it was through the Lord's leading, but it was the church who commissioned him. They sent him out. In Philippians 2.25, you have another example. You find the name Epaphroditus, which sounds like a bad disease. So, so Epaphroditus is, is referred to in the ESV as a messenger. But if you go to the Greek, it's that same Greek word, that means apostle. So Epaphroditus was not on the same authority as the Apostle Paul or the 12 other disciples. But he is an apostle. He is a sent one. And there are other examples of this in Scripture as well. Now, so in that sense today, we still have an apostle. Alright? Right down here in the corner here, this good looking fellow right here. Stand up for me. You are looking at Apostle Ben right here. Alright? And here's why I mean that. By that. Is, is, is Ben an, an apostle like Paul was an apostle? Does Ben write scripture? No. Does, does, does Ben get his word like, does he, like, I don't have to open the Bible. I just see the risen Christ before my bed every morning. And I just, no. No. He doesn't do that. So he's not the capital A apostle. But he is a sent one. The Kentucky Ministry Network of the Assemblies of God has sent him out. He and Dina both to the campus at Eastern Kentucky. And our church commissions him on a weekly basis to go out and to spread the gospel to students at EKU. So in a sense, you can now all refer to Ben as Apostle Ben. No, don't do that. But, but that's, that's what it means, that lowercase a apostle, that's what that means. So, so Paul is saying, I'm more than that. My apostleship does not come from man, but it comes from God. And so his, his calling is divine and his message is divine. That is his point. Secondly, let's look at Paul's communication. 
In other words, what is his message? What is it that he's writing about? Well, he here reminds believers in Galatia of his divinely given message that we call the gospel. The gospel. Let's read again verses 3 through 5 in Galatians chapter 1. He writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in a nutshell right here. I love it. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul offers in this verse a brief yet pretty comprehensive outline of what we call the gospel message. It's amazing to me that, that people claim to be Christians, but they can't explain in any way, shape, or form what the gospel is. I want you to be able to do that. Because it's not just something that, that, that helps you come to Christ, but it's something that you are to walk in every single day of your lives. And so Paul brings out, and this is part of the gospel, he brings out our condition. In other words, this is going back to the beginning here. Our condition is that we're more wicked than we ever imagined. And you say, well, where in the world does it say that? Well, look at verse 4 again. And it says that Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present age. Deliver us. If you go to the Greek, the word deliver actually means to rescue. Now, if, if you think about needing to be rescued... Think about that. That means that you cannot help yourself. If you could, you would not need to be rescued. So by implication here, you see our own depravity. That apart from Christ, you and I are unable to help ourselves. And this is an important piece of the gospel that we often look over. Because if you don't walk up to somebody on the street and you say, Hey, Jesus saves, do you want to be saved? And their question would be, saved from what? I'm a pretty good person. If there is a heaven, I'm going to get in there because I'm pretty good. But that's not the truth. So before somebody can see their need for a Savior, what do they have to see? They've got to see the need for salvation. They've got to see their own condition. Now, the way to be saved from our condition is not just to follow Jesus' teachings. See, a lot of people see Jesus as just a good moral teacher. And they think that the reason that he came was to teach us how to be saved. To teach us how to keep the rules so that we can be saved. That's not what he came to do. He's a tremendous teacher. But he came to save us from our sins, not to tell us how to save ourselves. A big difference. And so we don't see him just as a teacher. You know, when somebody comes up and they say we don't, that they want to be saved, we don't hand them a list of rules and say, go do this. Here's what Jesus taught. Go do it all. We just say, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine this, if there's a burning building outside. And let's say there's a a woman trapped on the the fourth or fifth story. We don't toss her a manual on how to escape a burning building. Here, read this. This will tell you how to get out. What do we do? She's helpless. We rescue her. If you see a a person drowning, you don't uh, just toss them a book. On or, or even get on the, uh, you, you know, the, the, the horn and say, hey, here's how you save yourself. If they're drowning, what do you do? You throw them a rope. You jump in. You do whatever you can to rescue them. And friends, it's no different when it comes to salvation. You and I, see, you've got to understand that you cannot save yourselves. You can never perfectly keep the law of God. 
Yes, it's good to walk in the ways of the Lord. But without Christ, you can't do it. So we we get it backwards. We try to clean ourselves up so then Jesus will accept us. That's a different gospel, friends. You come to Him just like you are and He'll clean you up. Amen. We serve an awesome God. That's our condition. And then Paul points out what Jesus did. It's real simple. It says He gave Himself for our sins according to the will of God. The word for there means on behalf of. So He didn't just come to teach us. He came to give Himself for us. He did everything we needed to do when He died on the cross. But we could never do it. He did everything we needed to do to have a right standing with God. He did it all. That's what He did. So His work was not just to give us, well, here's a second chance. Maybe you can do better next time. No, our debt is paid in full. He did it for us. He fulfilled the law for us. So it's not that we get a second chance. We become a new person when we come to Jesus Christ. So the gospel says, see, that our condition is that we are more wicked than we ever could imagine. But you see this when Jesus Christ came to die for our sin. We incurred the bill. He paid it. That's love. So the gospel shows us that we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dare hope. That's the gospel. But he goes on to explain what God the Father did. God accepted this substitutionary work of Christ as Jesus' death was done according to God's will, the scripture says here. And then it says, if you go back up to verse 1, this is the rest of the gospel, that God raised Christ from the dead. And that shows that his payment was accepted, that that work that Christ did was accepted and blessed. By God the Father. So why in the world did God give us Christ? Why send your only begotten Son to die a gruesome death for us? It is not because there's any good in you and me. It's not due to any merit in and of ourselves. There are people I meet almost on a weekly basis. And I talk to them about the Lord and they'll say, Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. God wouldn't accept me. Listen, if it was up to us, He wouldn't accept any of us. He accepts us not because there's some good folks that deserve saving. He accepts us because of great, incredible, amazing, wonderful love. That's the God that we serve. Friends, it is a gospel of grace. So here's the gospel in a nutshell. Our condition is worse than we could ever imagine. But we're more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever dream Our hope, our deliverance, our rescuing comes by grace through faith in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. For he is our Savior whom God raised from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what gives us life every day. It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that keeps us. And so this is... This gospel is Paul's message as he's writing to these believers. And if we miss the message, we miss it all. Which brings us to number three, Paul's concern. It's interesting that Paul's openings in his epistles usually include some type of thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to. For instance, Colossians chapter 1, he writes to the church of Colossae and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul's a nice guy and he's, he's, he's generous with his words, an encourager. 
in 1 Corinthians. In Corinthians, the, the church at Corinth was a mess. And he writes this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. But here, Paul skips this element that he includes in the other letters. And he moves right to these words, I am astonished. He didn't have any time for small talk. I'm astonished. Have you, parents, have you ever had your children and you don't feel like chatting? You just got to get to the business, right? I am astonished. How many have ever said something along those lines? New, New Testament scholar and professor, Dr. Douglas J. Moo, writes uh, this about Paul. He said that, that he neither has the time nor the inclination to thank God for the Galatians when their very identity as Christians hangs in the balance. Think about that. This is how serious this message is. Let me read verses 6 and 7 again. He writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you. See, when you get your doctrine wrong, you get Christ wrong. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. See, a different gospel is no gospel at all. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Which makes it no gospel at all. So here's what was happening. These false teachers were coming in and they were preaching an add-to gospel. In other words, they're saying, oh, it's great you have faith in Christ. Yeah, we believe that, but that's not enough. You've got to believe in Christ and you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And friends, that's dangerous ground. That's devilish ground. These false preachers have tried to persuade the Galatians that they should require circumcision and obedience to the whole law as a means of right standing before God. So listen, you have faith in Christ, it's good for you, but you still have to become a Jewish proselyte. You still have to be circumcised. Now, Jews in the Old Testament, kind of as a, as a religious rite, circumcision was required of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign of the covenant. And though Christ had ushered in the new covenant of grace, these false teachers were teaching that Gentile believers had to be converted, they had to be circumcised to be true Christians. Now, in the Old Testament, a, 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 a young boy would be circumcised at eight days old. There's a difference in circumcision at eight and 47 years old. At eight days old and 47 years old. Can you imagine this? They're, they're, here they are, they're preached the gospel of grace, and all of a sudden now they're trying to be put back under the law by these false teachers. And so you imagine this membership class, right? They accept Christ, and, and, and here I, I preach a, a message of you, you're saved by grace through faith. And then they show up from membership class, and all of a sudden another pastor comes in and says, Oh, by the way, uh, there's a surgery that's going to happen after the membership class. The men would be like, honey, uh, you go in. I, I'm just going to visit every once in a while. I'm not going to become a member. So this is serious business. But you know why it's so serious? It's not that circumcision. It has nothing to do with circumcision. It's that circumcision is saying, what, what the Judaizers are saying, these, these men are teaching, they're going, Jesus, what Jesus did is not enough. You need to do this in order to be right with God. So what we're saying, when we add anything to the gospel, well, you need to keep the rules and have faith. Well, you need to be baptized and have faith. Are, are keeping the rules and being baptized important? Absolutely, but they don't save you. 
our approval, our justification, our right standing with God doesn't come by church attendance, Bible study, being dumped in the water, or anything else. It comes because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ as we put our faith in Him. That's it. He is the propitiation for our sins. We have imputed righteousness because His righteousness is accredited to us. And you or I, we do not have to add anything for right standing with God. If you're trusting in Jesus, hallelujah. If you have faith in Him, His death, His burial and resurrection, if you just simply confess Him as Lord, put your trust in Him, then you are saved. You are in right standing with God. And that's Paul's point here. So to change the gospel at all is to reject the gospel and thus make it null and void. Because what you're saying when you try to add to it, Lord, I don't know if what you did is enough. I'm just going to be safe and I'm going to go ahead and follow these other rules to try to gain your approval just to make sure. And all to trample the blood of Christ. That's what that is. You see the seriousness of this. Let's just break this down a little bit more. It says here, Paul points out that that the Galatians and we are called by the grace of Christ. I I love this. There there are times that that people say, well, I found Jesus. Oh, baby, I found Jesus. Honey, you didn't find Jesus. You were lost and needed rescue. You couldn't find your way out of a paper bag. He found you. He found you. There's a big difference. So even... Our calling is by grace. We didn't call Him one day. He called us and we responded. Amen? This means that we don't have to work to be accepted by God. He accepts us by sheer grace. And then we follow Him in that order, not the other way around. And see, other religions, they start like this. You keep this moral law, or you be a really good person, or you be charitable, or or, or you have these moral qualities, or you pray so much, or you do so much penance, whatever it is, and then God will accept you. That's heresy. Because we can never do enough to earn His acceptance. If we could, then Jesus would not have had to come. But what the gospel says, hallelujah... Is that we are helpless and we need to be rescued. And that God calls us. And that first we just respond in faith to Him. To that calling. And then we follow. So we believe, then we follow. Not follow first. Does that make sense? That's the real gospel. So let me break down even further these two different gospels. There's a a gospel of works. And there's a gospel of grace. So here's, here's what the gospel of works says. Number one, the gospel of works focuses on what you do. It's, it's really all about you. It's a real man-centered gospel. The gospel of grace, the real gospel, focuses on, on what Christ has already done. I'm going to read that again because somebody missed it. The gospel of works focuses on what you do. The gospel of grace focuses on what Christ has already done. The gospel of works focuses on gaining God's approval. Even Christians go back to the law. Well, I've got to read my Bible today or God's going to be mad at me. But they have a skewed view of God. How many have ever seen the Wizard of Oz before? The old Wizard of Oz. How many still have nightmares about that? Be honest. Flying monkeys and everything. Yeah. But remember when Dorothy went to see the wizard 
And, and, and he's, of course, hiding behind this big machine, but he seems bad and ugly and he, he, he's upset and, and, and Dor- Dorothy's kind of hunkering down. That's how most people see God. They're petrified of him. Now, God is serious and God is a just God and, and he doesn't take sin lightly. But he's a loving God and he's for you, not against you. So much so that he was willing to pay the price himself. To get you to Him. So it's not that we every morning get up and have to try to, uh, uh, to, to gain His approval. I'm going to do devotions this morning so God won't be mad at me. No, that's not it at all. I'm going to do devotions this morning because I just want more of Jesus. I'm already a son or I'm already a daughter of God. I'm not, I'm not trying to earn favor with Him. I just want to be with Him. I want to be with Him because He's my Father. And He's bestowed so much grace upon me. So the gospel of works, though, focuses on gaining God's approval day in and day out. That's a miserable place to be. You lay your head down on the pillow at night, don't know if you're saved or unsaved. I wonder if I've done anything today I haven't confessed. You know, so on and so forth. It's a horrible place to be and that's not gospel. The gospel of grace focuses on God's approval apart from any merit in you. Romans 5, 8, I love this. But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's gospel truth right there. What that means is, I was a wretched sinner when He died. He he didn't wait for me to clean myself up. I didn't have to do anything to to gain His approval. I just had to have faith in what Christ has already done. So you don't clean yourself up and then come to God. You come to God so that He can clean you up. He will not just clean you up, but He'll transform you. He'll make you new. It's not just a second chance. It's a new being. We serve a God of grace. So to do anything, to add anything to the gospel of grace is to reject the real gospel. And to reject the real gospel is to reject Christ. I found... Um, at one of my churches, I forget which one it was, some old membership cards. And on the back, we, this is what it said. This was the covenant. Don't go to movies. Don't drink beer. Don't do this. And it had just a list of all these different things. Don't, 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 don't. And we wonder why people were so miserable. Now, there's certain things we shouldn't do in places we shouldn't go. But that's a gospel of works. If you want to be a part of here, listen, my plea with you today is not to do, 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 do. Do I want you to? Do I, do I want you to read your Bible? Absolutely. Do I want you to come to church faithfully? Absolutely. But I don't want to give you a list of rules and regulations. Do I want you to walk in holiness? Absolutely. But you know what I want you to do? And, and, and from this, everything else will flow. I want you to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. That's it. I don't want you getting up on Sunday morning and go, well, honey, I know this is a beautiful day and we can cook out, but if we don't go, Pastor Chris is going to be mad. Ah, we're tired and we can do other things. We need to do yard work. Pastor Chris is going to be mad at me. Or, or even, I don't want you to say, God's going to be mad at me. What I want you to do is get up on Sunday morning and go, hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, I, I, don't, I, I feel a little down today. I got the sniffles. I, I stayed up later than I should have last night. I didn't sleep well. I don't feel great. I don't look great. But I'm going to go anyways because I want more of Jesus. I want more of Him. I want to work about Him. I want to walk in Him. I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith. And I just want 
and I know he wants me there, and I know he won't be mad at me, or he won't condemn me if I don't go. That's not why I'm going. I just want more of Jesus. I don't want you to wake up tomorrow morning and go, I know Chris is going to get me. If I don't read my Bible, he's going to ask me. He's going to be real mad because we're supposed to be reading our Bibles every day. No. That's not what I want. I want you so in love with Jesus that you realize it's the living word of God. And, and, and so it's not that you have to read five chapters or six chapters or one chapter a day or a book a day or, or half the Bible in a day, whatever it may be, to be spiritual. I want you so in love with Jesus that in the morning when you rise, you wake up and it's the first thing on your mind. I, I need Jesus. I, I want to see Jesus in the scriptures. I, I, want to, I want to get close to God in the scriptures. Holy Spirit, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. See the difference? Let me give you one more verse before I close here. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I have always read this verse with the wrong attitude. What The, the way that I've always approached this verse is... Really, if, if I keep, I, I, I reverse it, so if I keep the commandments, I'll prove my love for the Lord and He'll accept me. If, if I keep His commandments, I'll prove my love for the Lord. If, if I obey the Bible, if I get up and I go to church and I read the Bible, I'll show God how much I love Him and then He'll, he'll accept me. And I'll. That's the way most people read that, but that's not what it says. It says, if you love me, Jesus says, comma, you will keep my commandments. See, love comes first. Love comes first. So my plea to you is this. Love Him and you will keep His commandments. I don't have to, I don't have to hand you a membership card that says, don't go to the movie theater. I don't have to be legalistic. I just say, love Jesus. Follow the Holy Ghost. Do what the Word says. But, but, but I can just say, love Jesus. And if you really fall head over heels in love with Him, the rest will follow. I do think good works are important, but they do not gain God's approval with you. They don't. I, I say this often, that we're not saved by works, we're saved to good works. So a transformed life, the, the way I know you've been saved by grace through faith is watching grace work in your life. But that doesn't gain you one ounce of merit with God. He loves you because He loves you. That's it. Friends, that is grace. So let me ask you today, what gospel are you clinging, clinging to? What gospel are you clinging to? Gospel of works or gospel of grace? The real gospel. And here's the deal. Most people don't have any, any problem believing that they're saved by this gospel of grace. But then, once they're Christians, they try to go back, just like the Galatians. They try to go back into the law. I just got to keep the rules. I just got to keep the rules. And God's going to be mad at me. Do, do, do. No, listen. Just love Him. Let Him transform so many quote-unquote Christians are exhausted trying to work their way to heaven. And they say they've been saved by faith, but they're work, work, work. Brothers and sisters, rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let Him, don't try to change yourself. Let Him transform you. Let Him transform you. Day by day. And some of you say, well, Pastor, if you preach a gospel like this, people are just going to use that as a license to sin. Those people have never been changed by grace. Amen. 
Because when you get a hold of the gospel of grace, you want to serve him. You're transformed. Your heart's inclined all the ways of the Lord. A license to sin, really? You're, you want a license to sin from a God that died for you? It's not gospel. It's not truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. No. People who have really understood the real gospel, they want to serve him. Do they do it perfectly? No. But we want to serve him, don't we? We want to serve him. Just stand your feet with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Had four men accept this gospel on Wednesday. This is a real gospel. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, church folk. And I'm not asking you... I'm not asking you, have you gone to church before? I'm not asking you, are you religious? I'm not asking you if your granddaddy is a preacher. I, I talk to people about... Christ all the time and they, they, they keep going to here for some reason. Well, my granddad was a preacher. Brother, you can't ride his coattails to heaven. His preaching doesn't even guarantee him heaven. That's not how we're saved. So I'm not asking you, are you religious? Are you, have you been to church? What's your experience with church or religion? None of that. I want to know, do you know Jesus? Have you tried it? Maybe you've tried real hard to keep the rules, but you've never accepted this gospel of grace before. This will revolutionize your life. It will transform you. It's the only way to heaven. It's the only way to be delivered from this present age. If you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, with head bowed and eyes closed, lift up your hands and say, Pastor, I need that gospel today. I need Jesus. I'm tired of bearing the weight of my own sin. I don't want to perish in my sins. I want Jesus, that real gospel today. Anybody in here that needs to make that profession of faith today, just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. Nobody? Lord, today, we thank you for this incredible gospel of grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for how much you have given to us. Your grace is not due to any merit that's within us. If it were, then it wouldn't be grace. It would be deserved, but... We don't deserve salvation. We get it by grace through faith. And we thank you. Don't let us be numb to this. Let us walk in the glory of the gospel every day. And we want to honor you. We want to love you. And I just pray for this church that every member, no matter how long they've been saved, that they would just, oh Lord, just relish in the gospel. And that they would delight in you and love you, that they would fall head over heels in love with Jesus. And let it just transform every every piece of the body, the mind, the soul. Do it to every single person here, Father, we ask. Thank you for your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.